0: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Graby. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in.
1: On today's episode, we had the incredible honor of chatting with our new friend and New York Times bestselling author, Trisha Lott Williford. As you'll soon discover, Trisha is an incredible storyteller. I just love listening to her and I know you will too. Trisha's journey of overcoming is one of the most touching stories you'll ever hear. Years ago, she suddenly found herself to be a 31-year-old widow with two preschoolers to raise all on her own when her husband died unexpectedly and tragically at Christmas time. Tricia opens up about her journey through grief and heartbreak to finding new strength and joy on the other side. I would do it
2: all again. I wouldn't have spared myself any of the pain that I have gone through by loving hard and by loving what death can touch. I wouldn't change that. And I think sometimes we try to protect ourselves from the inevitable. And really, um, that's where grace is. Grace is in the inevitable. So I would, I would say hold back nothing love completely because it is a privilege to love that much to be that broken over um, something that you loved like crazy.
1: We also chat with Trisha about her latest project, Just You Wait. Everyone takes their turn in the waiting room. It's just a part of life. But when we misunderstand what waiting is all about, we can get confused about what God is up to in our lives. As Trisha shares with us today, waiting is actually one of God's favorite tools. There are specific things God does in our hearts and in our lives, only in the waiting. Trisha shares with us the joy hidden in the discipline of waiting, the practices of believing God is for you and working on your behalf, even when the work of his hand is hard to find. We hope that this conversation will encourage you in the waiting and remind you that God is at work behind the scenes in invisible ways you just can't see. Listen in.
0: All right, Trisha, welcome to the show. We are so glad you're here.
1: Thank you so much, you guys. I'm so glad to be with you. Yes, we're so excited to have you with us today and to talk about this wonderful book, Just You Wait. It's incredible. I've been plowing through it this week, almost finished with it. Um, Really excited for our listeners to hear it. It's such a powerful message. But before we dive into the content of that book, I would love for you to share just a little bit with our listeners about who you are and a little bit of your journey. I would love to do that. So
2: I am a teacher by trade and a writer by love. And so all of my education has gone into being an educator. And I was a teacher before my kids were born. And um, then I I became a stay-at-home mom and was suddenly just surprised by how unfulfilling I found that to be. And some women just hit their stride and they love that. And I just couldn't find it. I just couldn't find it, and I felt really, I don't know, I was an extrovert, now living an introvert's life, and I was a girl who loved to do something different every day, and all of a sudden, I'm on a schedule now with routines, and um, goldfish crackers, and a lot of diapers, (laughs) and I really missed feeling smart, and I felt like I was living a preschooler's life, which I was, but it was really, I don't know, I just... I didn't I didn't love it as much as I thought I would and it's a really difficult thing when you get everything that you thought you wanted and then discover like oh this maybe isn't everything that I thought I wanted
1: mm, yeah there's yeah.
2: still a gap here mm-hmm. so I started blogging at that point and I started blogging when my children were sleeping because that to me felt like you know this is my one hour that I have for myself so they were three and one when I started that and I called it um teaching tuck and tie my children are named Tucker and Tyler and as I said like my trade is teaching and so I just thought well maybe if I can just shift my thinking then I'm still teaching but I'm you know I'm Investing in these two little dudes. So, I had a very modest readership, maybe 30, 40 people a day, mostly roommates from college and aunts from (laughs) the country.
0: (laughs) And mom, right? Always mom. Thanks, mom. 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 Thanks, mom.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Shout out to mom. That's right.
0: right. It's so true. Yeah.
2: So (laughs) So, all of that to say, things got really sad really fast in our life. And when my sons were five and three years old, Um, their dad got really sick and um, it was two days before Christmas and the doctors thought that he had the flu and they sent us home from the hospital and they said he won't die from this but he's gonna feel like it they were only partly right Um, he did have the flu but it was masking sepsis um, an infection in his bloodstream that attacked his heart and his lungs and he died the next morning and he was 35 and I was 31 And he was just suddenly gone, just suddenly gone, like with the slice of a surgeon's scalpel, like that kind of precision, just removed from our lives. He was here and healthy, and then he was sick, and then he was gone. And that plunged me into um, two years of winter in my soul Mm -hmm. of just severe trauma. Um, I was suddenly this widowed single mom of two preschoolers who were not yet in kindergarten and we each processed our grief differently my five-year-old became fiercely independent and um, just determined to take care of himself and everyone in his world because he thought I lost one parent overnight I could lose another one I got to be ready I'll pour my own cereal I'll put on my own seatbelt. I'll do all the things because I I might have to take care of my brother and I got to be ready I got to be ready and my three-year-old, um, he managed the only thing that three-year-olds are in charge of, and that's what they wear. And so he, for several months, he would not take off his jammies, his Thomas the Train jammies or his Lightning McQueen jammies. He just alternated between those two things. And my therapist said, you let him. You let him because the bottom fell out of his world too. And this is the only thing he's in charge of. And so he's, he's being in charge of the one thing he can control. Mm. And I, in the meantime, was just riddled with the post-trauma of revisiting his death, the moments of him dying Um, right before me. He died in my arms before the paramedics could get there. And that replayed in an endless loop in my mind. Even when I would fall asleep, it would visit me there. Um, So I couldn't, I just, there was no restoration. There was no break. There was no rest. My world got really small. And my days became really broken down into one moment at a time, one meal at a time. And in that process, my blog took a different effect. It took a different turn because I had always just promised to write about the many somethings on my mind. I just wanted to write about slice of life. If it's about faith, great. If it's about parenting, great. If it's about um, an encounter that I had with someone throughout the day and, and it made me think, great i just wanted freedom to be able to write whatever i wanted to write about and all of a sudden i had this very severe crisis it just put me at ground zero well the only thing that stayed the same from the day that rob died to the day after he died there were many invisible things that stayed the same the sovereignty of god but the only thing that felt the same was that i still had this computer and i still had this blog and i still had this laptop and i could still write every day so i continued writing and People began to share my words and someone shared it on Twitter. Someone who has a very giant following said, please pray for this woman. Her husband has died. And the blog went viral for a season. And there were basically three tribes of people who began following my story. The first were young moms who said, you're living my nightmare. This is what I fear the most. Mm. Um, I want to watch how you're going to do this so I can sleep at night. I want to see how you're gonna survive this because if I can watch how you do this, then I can I can know that I will be okay. Um, and I can come close to this fire without getting burned or I can come right. right up to the edge of the cliff without falling over. Please, can I just watch? I wanna see how you do this. Mm-hmm. And the second group of people were um, people who said, I didn't lose my husband, but we lost a child. Or I didn't lose... Um, My husband but we've lost all of our money or we've lost our home or we've lost a dream or he didn't die but he left and our marriage died and People were saying you know what you're saying and what you're writing about the scarlet thread of grief and loss is True for me too and the only thing that's different is is how it happened but I'm at the bottom Mm -hmm. and you're giving voice to that Um, And the third group of people were pastors and counselors and therapists who said, no one writes in it, everyone writes after. And you're writing right through it. You're writing right through it. And you're inviting us to your dining room table with your preschoolers to talk about their theological questions. And you're inviting us to your bathroom floor of your honest moments with God of crying out on the ceramic tile of like, I can't do this for one more day. And they said, you're giving voice to our clients who are coming into our office and who are in some place of crisis, but they can't necessarily articulate how they're feeling. And so I can read where you are and I can figure out what's going on with you. And um, that helps me to treat the people who are in front of me. I wasn't paying attention or following blog traffic or any of those things. I certainly wasn't trying to build a platform. I wasn't even trying to become an author. I was simply just trying to breathe. I was trying to stay alive. And reading and writing have always been my inhale and my exhale, you know, to always have that process. And so this this became my lifeline. And along the way, an agent found me, a literary agent found me and said, I think that you might be an author. I think this is more than a story. I think that you are a writer and I'd love to represent you. And so... I've just released my fourth book and it's been quite a journey, a wild ride. I am loving it. Um, God has brought so much healing and so much restoration. I was just praying this morning about the verses in 2 Corinthians of what a comforter he is and how he comforts us so that we can comfort others. And just the Lord has brought so much healing and so much restoration to my life and has given me a ministry to love people well in the space that they're in. Um, He's also brought a new husband, the new dad that the boys spent five years praying for. They are now 12 and 13 and resilient and tall and awesome and fantastic. So that basically brings us to today with you guys.
0: (laughs) Wow. I love it. I mean, you know, just so everybody knows, you know, we had the opportunity to meet you and your man and... Yeah, up in Colorado Springs, and it was just such a. We heard your story then, but I think it's just it's a, every time you tell it, and I and I hope that for you, you know that every time you share that, uh, God is using it to help so many people. I know there's somebody listening right now that's like, oh my gosh, I had to hear that. So thank you again. You shared with us at Across the Table, but thank you again for sharing your story right here today. So uh, you wrote a couple books on the front end that were kind of focused more towards grief, right? And coming through that. And now you've kind of, you've passed through that season. You're entering a new season and you've written this brand new book and we're so excited about it. Like Jenny talked about, she's reading it. Talk to us. What is it all about? And we want to get the lowdown on it.
2: Sure. Well, this book, I do love it. I am so in love with this book. It's called Just You Wait. And it's about patience and contentment and joy in the everyday. It's about believing that um, God is in this. And even when you cannot see what he's doing, that he is for you. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, Peter, and I were talking one day as I was kind of trying to think about what should the next book be about? What do I want to write about? And I said, you know, I've really been thinking about the process of waiting and about how I really feel like it it breaks down into these three different stages. That we always have like this separation, this longing, sense of something that we're really hoping for. And that's when the wait begins when you realize you're separated from something that you want, whether it's a job or a baby or to win the lottery or, you know, Mm. whatever it is. Like I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. And then we enter this stage of becoming where something's happening. You know, before a mom and dad see this little white flicker of a heartbeat on an ultrasound screen, so much has already happened that they didn't even know. Um, you know that there's a spinal cord and a heartbeat and a brain that's already taken root, and and before a seed pushes through the ground to become this plant, before we can see it, so much has been happening underground, and things are becoming that we can't see. And then I feel like this last stage so we've longing and we've becoming and then we have this place of awakening where suddenly you just you can see it. Oh, here it is. And here's what I've been waiting for and or maybe it becomes something that you realize, "Oh, I'm not going to get this, but I'm awakened to the fact that my life is okay without it." Mm-hmm. So I lay out basically this three-point outline in the car with Peter about how I'm <laughs> just so excited and they all end in ing and they're so perfect and <laughs> right?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Lay it out for him. And he goes, no, <laughs> no, I'm not feeling it. I said, what do you mean you're not feeling it? He said that it doesn't go that way. That's just not how it is. That's not how it is. And I was just a little irritated. I won't go to sure. the point of saying devastated, just a little irritated. Like he just shot holes in my whole plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's not how it was for me. And I took a minute to revisit the fact that um, he had been an alcoholic for 38 years and sober for many years before we met. And he's right. It had been a different process for him of the longing to be delivered from this addiction and the becoming of needing to surrender. And so the book, we really just leaned into that. He brought a whole new perspective of me looking at, you know what? I don't know all there is to know. And there are people who are waiting for things that God will never say yes to on this side of heaven. Mm. What does that feel like? Yeah. So the book really unpacks those things and invites the reader into the journey to embrace the wait.
1: So I I love that. And, And we all have things that we're waiting on, right? Big or small. And you talk about in the book, I love where you talk about the importance of naming what it is that you're waiting for. Can you unpack that a little bit more? That's
2: a great question. And I feel like someone has said that our progress goes where our thoughts are. Like Mm -hmm. whatever you pay attention to is where your intention is going to go. And that's where you're going to see the progress. And when we are unaware of what we're waiting for, it can kind of grow into this just low-grade anger Mm -hmm. that's just pervasive. And it spills into... Every corner of our lives or we can get upset over a glass of spilled milk when really we're waiting for a diagnosis from the doctor, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. And when we can be really specific about what it is, not only are we able to identify it in our spirits, but we can also then identify it before the Lord to Mm -hmm. say "Here's specifically, this is what it is. This is what I'm laying on my altar. This is what I'm waiting for and what I'm asking for. And then we can also become more aware of answers and indications of what God might be doing. And so I think it's really important for us to really identify. I had a reader who contacted me and she said, I read your book because I wanted to, not because I felt like I was in a wait." And she said, and then I realized, oh, actually I am. She said, my husband is very ill and what I'm waiting for is nothing good.
1: Mm.
2: he has Alzheimer's and he's progressing and it's getting worse but she said this isn't going to change it's not going to get better what I'm waiting for is for this to just get worse and be over that's what I'm waiting for and I needed to identify that that's what it is I'm losing him and this is a thousand goodbyes every day mm. wow. and I'm waiting I'm waiting for big things that God isn't going to say yes to gosh that's huge Yeah, that's that's huge that's something that only the Lord can hold yeah
1: So similar to those lines, one of the things I loved that you talked about was the power of our inner dialogue as we wait. Can you talk more about that and maybe give some examples of healthy truths that we can begin to speak over our minds in the wait, as opposed to some of those unhealthy things that we just gravitate towards when we're in that waiting season?
2: (sighs) Yeah, I can specifically tell you, Jenny, that especially in my season of deepest depression, I noticed that I would hear myself thinking thoughts to myself of, I can't do this. Mm. I can't do this again. My children don't have a dad. I can't do this by myself. I don't have the strength for this. And realizing that what we tell ourselves can become our truth, even if it isn't true. Mm. And... I needed to take a step back from those things to realize I may feel like this is true, but feelings are fine. They're not right or wrong, but they're not always accurate mm-hmm. to the truth of what is happening. That's good. So instead of saying, I can't do this, I could say to myself, you know what, I'm just going to do the next thing. All I'm going to do is the next thing. What is the next thing? Mm-hmm. Or um, instead of my kids don't have a dad, you know what, that is a true statement, but they have a really good mom. mm
1: mm-hmm.
2: And there are a million ways that I can be good at this. And I'm going to do the next thing to figure out what that is. And looking at that inner dialogue, like if you had a friend who every time that you were with them, they got into your wallet and took $20 out of your wallet. Finally, you'd be like, I'm not sure I can afford this friendship, right? (laughs) Like this is really costing me. This is really expensive. Well, sometimes it's that person in your head. That is stealing from you, that person that's yourself that's saying, you know what, you're awake and I'm going to start talking to you and telling you, you can't do this. You don't think you're good enough for this. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And when we can identify what those things are to say, you know, instead of I hate this stupid job and I hate my stupid life. Um, okay, you know what, I have work today and it's not my dream job, but I'm going to keep doing this until the next opportunity comes. Or instead of whatever fill in the blank is that is um, negative, to be able to turn that around and to say, you know what, this is really hard. I can do hard things. I am really strong. This is bigger than I am, but so is God. And to be reminded of, of those truths, even if they are just little tiny nuggets that we hold on to, it has a powerful anchor. Absolutely. That's so good.
0: I feel like your friend sounds like my children. <laughs> <laughs> Just Always take another, taking another money 20 for bucks, it. huh? He's seen I'm not going to end this friendship, but I got to figure <laughs> out how to. Yep.
2: This is getting very expensive. Very expensive
0: yeah. to be your father <laughs> raising you. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about your thought process on sharing with others what you're waiting for. Yeah. Is there. Kind of something you kind of formulate or aspire to or the way you kind of go hey this is people you share with you don't share with and i mean no we're all waiting on different things right but but what's your take on sharing with others while you wait
2: no one has ever asked me that question <laughs> <laughs>
0: nailed that it. Is
2: like, you nailed it <laughs> nailed it you nailed it my first instinct in answering that question is that there are some things too sacred to speak out loud Agreed. There are some things that are, I I can't give it away. Yeah. I can't say it out loud. I can't say it to anyone. I can only write it down. Mm -hmm. I can only whisper it in my most implicit, silent thoughts that are prayers. Mm -hmm. Another piece of that about not talking about the things that I'm waiting for um, is that sometimes if I talk about what I'm waiting for, then I can feel like I'm manipulating the outcome. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And if God is the only one, that I'm giving it to, then I can be confident that he is the one who is making this happen. It really is a test of the muscles of your faith to realize, you know what, I am laying this out before the Lord. I am asking for these specific things and I'm only telling you about it so that when this happens, I will know that you are the only one who could have done that for me. You're the only one who made this happen. So certainly there's space for processing with people, mm-hmm. certainly there's space for trusting and being accountable to people, or simply just sharing where you are, but some things are just really sacred. Mm-hmm. And I guess it depends on what you're waiting for. If you're waiting in line at Starbucks and you're waiting for your drink, this is not a big deal. <laughs> um, Unless if, it's if pumpkin you're...
0: spice latte, day number one. <laughs> like, day
2: number one. Today is.
0: <laughs>
2: today is the day, right?
1: I That's mean, That's a big deal. Yeah. That,
0: Hold on to that's that, and look—we're talking
1: about it. We're talking about what we're waiting for. Right, we're sharing. Those yeah, we things are are okay to share. <laughs> yes. So funny.
0: No, that's Thanks. really great, I th- and I think you nailed it. It's true. I mean, everything we're waiting on can be different, but you're right. If it's kind of that sacred thing you're waiting on, trust the Lord with it. Right. Give it to Him, yeah, right. and know that when it comes, you can only give the credit back right. to Him.
1: That's good. Yeah.
0: So thank you. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the other things I love that you talk about um, before we get to our final closing lightning round, you talk about that sometimes the Lord allows us, kind of in that becoming section, he allows us to kind of go through that waiting season so that we can become someone new on the other side of the waiting. I just love that. I can't stop thinking about it. And we were even talking to our teenage son about it last night, reminding him as he's waiting for his big, growth spurt to come that's his waiting he's just oh, right on the cusp of it and all of his buddies are shooting up you know like rockets and he's like mom when <laughs> when am i gonna get and there's my nothing growth spurt? he
0: can do and about there's nothing
1: it. he can do he can just not wait. a single thing but i was telling him like god has a purpose in the waiting and a lot of the time it's just that we are becoming someone new on the other side of the waiting can you talk more about that
2: For sure. The part that really stood out to me as I was doing my research, I saw this pattern about how waiting is one of God's favorite tools. That is the most recurring theme of the people who waited and the reasons that they waited. And there's really only one who waited as a form of punishment, and that was Jonah. You know, God put him in a timeout, but nobody else was waiting because they were in trouble they were waiting because God was doing something different and as I looked at this whole process of Abraham and Sarah waiting for a baby and everything from that to Mary waiting to find out like is this really gonna happen you know like you've said that this is what this is but there's no pregnancy test I can take to make sure and maybe I'll go visit my cousin Elizabeth and see what's going on and see how she can mentor me through this pregnancy or David waiting in the caves and writing all these Psalms while he was waiting on the Lord And one of the things that I discovered is that as the Israelites traveled, they could have made their entire journey that took 40 years. That could have happened in one year. It could have happened in three weeks. But, you know, given the fact that there were a million people and two million camels, you know, let's give them a slowdown pace. But it really could have happened in a year if if we look at the map and go from point A to point B. It could have happened much faster. But God was not interested in their arrival. That That was not his ultimate goal. He want, He was interested in who they were becoming. He was interested in what was taking place in their souls and in their forgiveness and in their awareness of who he was. And so very often we think that we're waiting for something, but God's waiting for something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And who we become in that process, it matters so much more to him. Than the physical growth spurt that your son is waiting on, um, the growth that is happening in his heart and his mind right now um, as your family has just moved across the country and he's navigating new changes in in your family and in your community and in your school and, I mean... If he were navigating, you and I, we all know on this side of adulthood that it's it's no big thrill what he's about to encounter, you know? <laughs> right. Much to his
1: surprise. Everything, it, yeah. Everything's more complicated. Yep. And I'm okay with him fitting
0: in his shoes for just a little bit longer, <laughs> right? you know, because we all know that there's about 15 pairs of shoes that are coming.
2: You're exactly right. And they're going to come fast and furious. They're yeah. going right. to
1: come
0: hot, coming yeah. in hot. You're exactly right. I know.
2: But the, the changes that are happening in his heart and his mind and in his soul and he's becoming a, I mean, I'm, I haven't met your son. I haven't had that privilege, but from what I know of watching your family, he's becoming a, a man of compassion. That's the word that comes to my mind right now. And that's far more important than his voice dropping or far more important than how tall he is. And all those things will fall into place later. And so when I look at that in my own life that I think, gosh. This is what I, I'm waiting for. I want this to happen. And God's saying, yeah, but you and I are working on some inner stuff that's invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's far more important to me. Amen.
0: Yeah. So, so good. good. So good. Yeah. And he's, the kid's one of a kind. He's an, he's an amazing kid. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. When somebody grabs this book, when the thousands <laughs> and millions of people out there grab this book and read it, what is your hope when they set it down, when they're done? What do you want them to walk away with?
2: Oh, I love that question. I want them to feel seen and known in the place where they are because they are seen and known in the place where they are. I want them to believe that the Lord is in this. I want them to have an awareness of the fact that he's in the weight and he's in the details and he is hard at work networking on their behalf and He is hard at work in a creation that they cannot even imagine. I want them to feel seen and known. And to be able to also see and know God, that he's in this.
1: That's so good.
0: So good. Love Love it. it. All right. Well, for everyone listening, go get this book right now. It's so good. Yes. So good. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) you're waiting on, this will be a good guide
1: through through your journey. Absolutely. For sure.
0: All right, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with our three final rapid fire. Just insane questions. Are you ready? I'm ready.
1: Insane questions. They're oh. not insane. Okay, I'm no. sorry.
0: I just add a little bit of inflexion, yes. a little bit of extra. We
1: always close out the show asking the same three questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Yes. Is okay. that a question? It's a that a question. No, one? that's the first.
0: Question number one, are you ready? <laughs> Nailed it.
1: You got that one, great. No, it is, um, what is a book that's changed your life? I know you're a big reader, so this will be hard for you to pick one. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So we'll start with the book. What's a book that's changed your life?
2: Okay. The book that has changed my life is called Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg. Mm, Nice. She is, I believe, the queen bee of writing memoir. And she has really explored the fact that um, writing is something you can practice. It's something you can do on a daily basis. I believe she is Buddhist. So it's written through a different faith lens. And so you need to read it with that mindset. But her writing practice taught me how to write. And taught me how to lean into the daily practice of this. To realize that anything else that anyone ever does, whether it's playing the violin or playing the piano or running a race or being a football player or whatever it is, they practice and they get good at it. And somehow with writing, we tend to feel like, well, you took English, right? I mean, you know the alphabet and you can hold a pen. Like, can't you just sit down and write? And no. that's, that's not the case. <laughs> it takes some practice. Right. Um, that book changed my life because it taught me how to write. And in fact, um, I now teach a workshop that's called Writing is Worship. Mm. And it's nice. about um, where the pen meets the page, the retreat is called The Pen and the Page. And it's um, it's really about learning how when, when you invite the Holy Spirit into that space, He shows you where what your story is, and He shows you who's writing it with you, which is Him. So that book changed my life because it taught me to be a writer, but also taught me how to teach writers. So Writing Down the Bones love it. by Natalie Goldberg. Wonderful. I love it.
0: All right, second question. What is a habit that has changed your life?
2: You're going to laugh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Try us.
1: All right. Power naps. Oh, we have never gotten that answer. That is a first-time answer. I love it. Power naps. Um, 20 minutes. That's great. 20 minutes.
2: Right? We, um, Daniel Pink, in his book called When, he wrote about, um, he calls it a nappuccino. because it actually takes 20 minutes for um, caffeine to enter your into your system so he recommends you you drink an espresso or drink coffee as fast as you can it's not to not to enjoy the flavor it's not to let it linger you know savor it drink it as fast as you can and then take a nap for 20 minutes and not only will you have this moment of just being like physically refreshed from shutting your brain off for 20 minutes but also that's how long it takes for the caffeine to work so you're going to wake up ready to go
1: I love that idea. That's amazing. Nappuccino. (laughs) Nappuccino. Not my idea.
2: But yeah, that's good.
0: Done. Nappuccino. Done. All right. All right, I'm out of here. We're going to take a Nappuccino. (laughs) (laughs) Adios. Ready? All right, last one. What advice would you give to the younger you?
2: Mm, Love hard. Mm. Love hard, especially because I now know what that would cost me. Mm-hmm. Um, to love hard and I would do it all again I would do it all again I wouldn't have spared myself any of the pain that I have gone through by loving hard and by loving what death can touch um, I wouldn't change that mm-hmm. I wouldn't change that and I think sometimes we try to protect ourselves from the inevitable and really um, that's where grace is grace is in the inevitable mm-hmm. so I would I would say hold back nothing love completely love completely because it is a privilege to love that much to be that broken over um something that you loved like crazy so love hard. that's
1: beautiful
0: all day I Love it. that's good stuff all right Well, where can people follow you look you up find you stalk you all those fun things
2: <laughs> yeah i'm out there trishalottwilliford.com
0: Okay. very cool social you do you, you use social yeah media? i'm on all
2: the things on the insta and okay. yeah absolutely awesome. yeah trisha lat williford i'd love to see you guys out there and i'm always talking about something that's on my mind and so i'd love to hear what's on yours
1: so great we'll link to all of that in the show notes thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here with us today we love talking with you we could just talk with you forever
2: it's right. been such a thank blast you. you guys are the best thanks for having me today and thanks for doing this you guys are living it well
0: all right, guys, thank you again so much for listening. We hope this episode blessed you, and we would actually love to hear from you. Please take a minute and leave us a review on iTunes. Hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com, and we would love to meet you and get to know you on social media.
1: Also, you can find all the info for today's episode, all the books and links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Thank you for being here with us every week. We love you guys. We're praying for you, and remember...
0: You only get one life. Live, live it well. well.